In the name of the true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning's gospel reading is unusual for a Sunday Eucharist because it centers on characters other than Jesus. And to state the obvious, the only reason we are gathered in this place just now is because of Jesus, who he is and what he's done for the life of the world and even for the salvation of our souls. He may not be the main character in today's reading from St. Mark's Gospel, but I think if we pay attention to the placement of this particular story, this awful story of the death of John the Baptist, we might see why we read it in the context of a Sunday Eucharist. But before we look at the placement where Mark put this story inside of chapter 6 and inside of his whole gospel narrative, before we look at that, I want to just quickly celebrate the literary gifts of St. Mark, because sometimes his gospel, the earliest and the shortest of the gospel accounts, is considered to be a kind of random string of events, kind of haphazardly put together without a clear structure. And the details of all of this would be for a Bible study and not for a sermon, but here's my point. Those who claim that Mark's gospel lacks organizational sophistication are wrong. That's the point. He's thoughtfully, Mark has thoughtfully chosen the placement of particular stories. And he emphasizes important theological claims with subtlety and with great care. I love Mark's gospel. Some of you perhaps have heard me tell the story of the important role that it's played in my own life of faith. And I encourage you to read it this summer. Remember I said it's the shortest gospel account. You might sit down and engage Mark's text, perhaps in one reading. So now that I've elevated the celebrity of Mark, let's get down to business. The first thing for us to recognize about the placement of this morning's terrible story about the death of John the Baptist is that it is literarily sandwiched. It's between uh, two accounts, two details. It's the sending of Jesus that comes first. Jesus sends his friends, his disciples, his apostles, out to proclaim the kingdom of God. So just before we hear of this tale of John the Baptist, Jesus, for the first time, sends out the apostles to proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near. Story of John the Baptist, the apostles return to tell Jesus about how it went when they went out to announce the kingdom. So why does that matter? As the Jesus movement, the announcement of the kingdom, is beginning to expand its reach is going out with the apostles being sent out in pairs. Mark tells us that Herod, the power-hungry ruler of Galilee, beheads John the Baptist at one of his state dinners. Mark wants us to see that the announcement of the gospel in the world, going public with the kingdom message, is met with fear and it's met with violence by those who want to retain their power, 
the power to lord it over others. Remember Jesus says later in this gospel, you're not to be like those who lord it over others. I came to be a servant. So for those who want to lord it over, going public with the kingdom is, is a threat. It's met with fear. So Mark is giving us a tale of two kingdoms. As one writer recently puts it, Christianity may be tolerated as long as it is personal and private. Private, out of the public view, non-intrusive. But when it threatens, it is to be exterminated. Often the church has surrendered its prophetic voice of conscience to secular rulers and governments. Those who've dared announce the kingdom of God in contrast to the tyrannies of the world have suffered and died for their faith. He closes this short writing by saying, neither Jesus nor his disciples then and now are meek and mild. Gentle, yes. Compassionate, yes. Loving, always. Yet the gospel threatens and threatened people strike back. Herod, who's primarily concerned with power and saving face, he serves up on a platter as the last dish of his state dinner, the head of the great prophet who announced the arrival of God's kingdom in the person of Jesus. Herod could have made a different choice, but the empire had replaced God in his life. So as the Jesus movement spreads, the power hungry are threatened and strike back. Keep in mind, Mark is writing his gospel to a persecuted community of early Jesus followers. This would have resonated. It would have been true to their experience that the gospel is a threat. And so that we don't miss this point, this kind of contrast between the politics of Herod's regime and the politics of Jesus's kingdom, Mark smartly follows up on Herod's dinner with a story of another banquet. In this case, the host is not Herod, but Jesus. Now we've just highlighted that Jesus' disciples have come back from their mission to tell their Lord all that they've done and taught. After being sent out, they've come back. And Mark tells us that many people are coming uh, and going. They were pressing in on Jesus and his friends, so much so that they didn't even have time to eat, the text tells us. Which is to say the movement was spreading, gaining momentum. The God of creation and covenant was on the loose in the company of Jesus. And Jesus is aware that the ministry that he sent out his friends on is demanding that they're tired, spiritually, emotionally, physically. So he invites his apostles to go off on spiritual retreat with him. But many see where they're going. They spot them. And people have gathered from all of the towns, all of the towns, Mark tells us, longing for the politics of a different kingdom, different way of being in the world. So when they arrive to their deserted place for spiritual retreat, everybody's gathered already. 
so much for the retreat. There's work to be done. And Jesus sees the great throng of people gathered in this deserted place, and he has compassion on them. He doesn't tell them to go away, I'm tired. He has compassion on them. And he begins teaching, sharing, so much so that the sun goes down. He doesn't have a brief word for them. He teaches for some time, longer than my sermon's going to be. Jesus is teaching the people, has compassion for them. And the sun goes down, and they are hungry. They're hungry. So what story do we get? You all know this story, the loaves and the fish. That's where this story comes into play. And unlike Herod's state dinner, reserved exclusively for the powerful, Jesus' banquet out in the deserted place is for everyone, all of the towns, all of the people. Herod's death-dealing dinner is held in a great palace. Jesus, the source of abundant life, He's host in a deserted place. Herod's banquet is for the preservation of empire and personal power. Jesus' banquet flows from compassion, and it opens the way for the people gathered to share their resources. He invites them to go beyond themselves, beyond self-preservation. And Jesus blesses what is offered at that dinner, and it multiplies. That's how math works in the kingdom of God. Jesus blesses what we offer in faith, and it has multiplying effect. So when we follow the politics of his kingdom, there's a banquet full of life for everyone from every town. Gifts are shared, and nobody goes hungry. Whereas Herod's state dinner is is lavish only for some, and it dishes out death. Friends, each day and often many times in a day, we have a choice, and it's a choice that Mark poignantly puts before us this morning. You see, it seemed like this was an odd choice for a Sunday morning gospel reading because Jesus is not the main character in the story. But it turns out that this reading, when we situate it within Mark's gospel, has the Jesus movement and the life-giving banquet of the kingdom right at the heart of it all. So here's the choice. The death-dealing ways of Herod or the life-sharing love of Jesus Christ. And as we stretch out our hands this morning to receive bread from that great banquet, let it be a symbol of our allegiance to the politics of the kingdom. And may we receive grace to choose life, his life, life abundant. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.